Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai studio. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. This is where Chicago goes to talk Bears. Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago's home for Bears fans. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The score! We're back with more of the Miller Lite Top Draft Show at the Piazza, located at 85 Executive Drive in Aurora, with Gabe Ramirez and Anthony Heron. Presented by Miller Lite, it's Miller Time on Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's home for Bears fans, and always live on the free Odyssey app. This song always gets Anthony Heron going. Turn the mat. See, I promised you guys, man. I promised you guys singing, and this is what I give you guys: Anthony Heron, Gabe Ramirez here at the Piazza for the Miller Lite Top Draft Show, and Anthony and I are going to be. Hey, thank you, thank you. That was. A, you guys made our boss clap. Look at that. That's that's some real support right there. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we are going to be together again on Friday, right? Hanging out in Tinley Twice Park. Twice in one week. Three times because we'll be at. Oh yeah, we got Easter. Friday during the day and then Friday night. <laughs> Anthony, you got a lot of me in your life this Anthony, week. Anthony, I love it. I, I welcome it. I actually asked for all of this. Uh, Anthony and I do a show called Beers Unleashed on Fox Thirty Two together every Friday. You can check it out nine thirty p.m. along with Cassie Carlson. So mm-hmm. the fact that we get to hang out, people walk up to us all the time. Oh, how you like working with Ant? I'm like. I've been working with him for two years now. <laughs> what are you talking about? Welcome to my life. I'm Gabe Ramirez. Nice to meet you. Uh, but, but, yeah, we do get to hang out again, so make sure you guys check that out in Tinley Park for another Miller Lite Top Draft show, all right? So some big news coming out of the winter meetings, of course, the Chicago Cubs signing Cody Bellinger to a one-year $17.5 million deal. And I know there's someone that's pretty excited about it but wants to see a little bit more from the Chicago Cubs. So do we have to do we have to say the sponsor when it's somebody that works with us? Oh, maybe say like every single show that oh. he hosts for us. Yeah. It's an extensive All list. Right. You know what? I'll give him the due respect. Joining us right now <laughs> on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. It is our morning show host. He's also one of the hosts of Inside the Clubhouse. Of course, I'm talking about none other than David Hall. Dave, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Having fun tonight, huh? I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while, Dave. It's been a while, Gabe. I cannot wait till Thursday morning. I understand you're going to be getting up real early. You guys spend a lot of time together, but I get my Gabe time Thursday morning when he fills in for Mully. Big Ant, I can see you any day of the week, it seems like. I turned on looking for hockey the other night, I think. I saw you doing, was it Jackson State? Was that the game you were? 
So it was uh, it was uh, it was Grambling State versus Southern. It was the Bayou Classic. Yeah, yeah Grambling game versus every year Southern. For BC. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. nice job, and I hung with it for a while because okay. man, you are versatile. You are everywhere. You work hard, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Also, the Take the North podcast. You're True. doing all kinds of stuff all over the map, Mr. Hall. So we uh, we got you got you it's up fun. this evening. I'm busy assuming, time. Yeah, I'm assuming you go to bed really early at night normally, <laughs> but when there's a little baseball news that breaks, then does it get your juices flowing? Are you going to be up till midnight looking at all the, the Cody Bellinger news? You know what? I do hit refresh a little bit more often on, on the Twitter machine because this is an exciting week for Cub fans, for baseball fans everywhere, even White Sox fans, Gabe. I think you're waiting well, for something to happen. We'll and today, yeah. tonight was the start of something. I don't want to oversell this. I don't think people need to get carried away. But Cody Bellinger, to me, is a smart investment, a reasonable risk. One year, $17.5 million. This is a prove-it deal for a former MVP who's 27 years old. He fills a need position. It's a bridge position. The Cubs' best prospects are outfielders. Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, Brennan Davis, uh, Alex Canario, who's been injured and had surgery this offseason. But this builds a bridge to those guys in 2024, and it does it in a way that allows you the opportunity to see what you have. Maybe he likes Chicago. Maybe he pays off big time. I don't want to believe that at 27 he just forgot how to hit because this is a former MVP that I think comes to Wrigley Field and has an opportunity to revive his career. You know, Dave, there was another former MVP that left Chicago, went to Colorado, didn't necessarily have the best year um, for the Rockies. I guess when I look at Cody Bellinger and you think about, you know, obviously being the MVP in 2019, you think to yourself, like, why did he fall off offensively? Like, what, what do you feel like you can pinpoint or look to when, when trying to answer that question? There are analytics that if you study it, and I'm sure that he has all the information at his disposal that indicate a change in his swing and a change in how level his swing was. And maybe in a, an overreaction or maybe uh, too, trying too hard to hit the home run or the, to change the launch angle. I think what he needs is probably a change of scenery, number one. Number two, maybe some new voices in his head telling him, exactly what he's doing and and, and maybe introducing a philosophy he hasn't tried before but also I think just overall uh, see ball hit ball and maybe try to simplify things maybe he's trying too hard and there's sometimes with professional athletes you see this in every sport but sometimes when they start to think too much they react too little and he just needs to let his natural instincts maybe take over it's not that simple but Gabe I think when you're looking for something to unlock what what it, whatever it is is keeping him back and holding him back that maybe maybe it's as simple as just kind of adjusting his swing and telling him to just go up there and swing more freely and the numbers will come now it's one thing last off season where whether it was Strowman Suzuki where there were some acquisitions that got made that I don't think people needed to overreact to because they you know there were deals that you said all right at least at least they're not trying to be at the bottom of mm-hmm. baseball, but it didn't necessarily signal championship aspirations last year. I'm not completely sure how to interpret this Bellinger deal, though, because it, it is a one-year prove-it deal on a guy with a huge resume. Does that mean that the Cubs are really going for something big this year? Yeah, this has got to be like you're, you're buying the deck furniture before you purchase the mansion. And, and I think that you're just getting ahead of yourself a little bit by Cody Bellinger we're analyzing it now because it happened two hours ago. But in the context of this offseason, this has got to be a complimentary piece. This can't be part of the big package. This has got to be just a guy that fills a need. 
this still is an offseason that will be defined by whether or not you get one of the big four shortstops, whether or not you adequately address your pitching rotation, and, and how much you come through on the implied promise that you're going to spend, spend, and spend some more. Because intelligent spending sometimes is reaching deep and using resources at your disposal. So Cody Bellinger is just one part of a bigger uh, project, but the toughest part, the most challenging aspect of this is yet to come. So since it is a one-year deal, then it, it certainly it greatly diminishes the risk associated with it. And for a one-year deal, I really thought the number would be higher for a guy like Bellinger. So I don't, I don't have any issue with the contract. I, I am, I'm, I'm wondering, I guess, why only a year through that lens? If you are looking at – the Cubs are obviously looking to build something. Talk about all the shortstops that they've been rumored with yep. up to this point. We'll see what develops here. But one year for Bellinger then, does, does the one-year signal limiting risk or does it end up signaling that perhaps their, their hopes for 2023 are higher than, than some people might anticipate? I think it's a really good question. But then when you spin it around and you look at it, okay, this, that's from the team's perspective. From the athlete's perspective, Cody Bellinger insisted on a one-year deal. His representation uh, yeah. was adamant that he, he would only sign a one-year deal. He had multi-year offers from what the information is. Talked to somebody about an hour ago who, who reported that, and, and I think that it's consistent with what you have heard. He did not want to do anything more because you have seen it. You saw it with Carlos Correa, who went to Minnesota and signed a long contract, but he was able to opt out. This is kind of the same principle just without the years tacked on the end of the contract that you can void uh, after one season. Cody Bellinger is betting on himself in Chicago, and that is why an, I, another reason why I think that you do look at this and you understand whatever risk involved is worth it because this is a player who will be motivated to make the most of his time on the north side because he wants to flip this into the kind of security that other free agents are finding in this market and their money is flying around this offseason the hot stove is cooking and i think cody bellinger sees that and wants to take advantage next year after resurgent season at wrigley we're talking to david hall of course our morning show host here on 670 the score also the host of inside the clubhouse and take the north podcast that's gabe ramirez anthony heron at the middle light top draft show uh at the piazza in aurora Dave, you mentioned the, the shortstop situation and, and bringing in some of those guys. Do you look at it, or would you look at it, as a failure if they don't get one of those guys that you mentioned? Failure is a strong word, but I think that I probably would use it. If the three shortstops left on the market, Correa, Bogarts, and Swanson, sign elsewhere after Trey Turner went to Philadelphia and the Cubs pivot and go after somebody you know, as a consolation prize, I just would feel deflated, and I think Cubs fans would feel worse. I think an analyzing it objectively, you would have to use the word failure. When you look at it uh, from a fan perspective and they lead with their heart as much as their head, I think it would feel like you have been let down by a team that built up your hopes for nothing, and then they dashed them because the Cubs are leaning into this idea. They aren't shying away from the notion that, they are going to go into this free agent period armed with the resources to make something happen and to affect change. And I think there's a feeling at Clark and Addison in the offices that from Tom Ricketts to Jed Hoyer to Carter Hawkins through, through the, the, every, the ushers that, that greet you with a smile, enough is enough. And this offseason needs to reflect that attitude and that they went into this, these winter meetings with that approach. So 
yes, it would feel like a failure if they're unable to address their biggest need. And their biggest need, without question, is getting a shortstop that is available. You sort of hinted at the, the White Sox. The White Sox are rumor so far on the hot stove, but it's probably worthy of at least addressing, David. Do, do you think, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I guess a lot of White Sox fans are just hoping that maybe. <laughs> I'm right here, so don't, don't, don't the, go too hard. You know, the, the way that they're just kind of making it sound like, ah, we're not going to do too much. We'll just kind of sit and wait and watch and then pounce when an opportunity presents itself. Is that a, a ruse? Is it a red herring? Is, is, it, is there more aggression that may come out of the South Side than what they're indicating? Well, they're on a listening tour, I guess, is the way to put it, because you, Rick Hahn is not going to be as aggressive as Jed, Jed Hoyer can be because he doesn't feel like he's empowered to do so. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has not uh, nodded his head and, and patted his, his executives on the back and sent them off with a smile to San Diego to say, go get me a, a, a difference maker. Go get me a team that will contend. Rick Hahn said on the day that they hired Pedro Grafal that they are not going to throw money at the problem. That prepared everybody for a offseason of wheeling and dealing and creative trade making. And let's see what happens. I think that the reports you see, Liam Hendricks is on the block. I get that. I understand that. The, I really can, don't, if I'm You don't get honest. that? Okay. I, I don't, because if, if you're not in your window anymore, if you're saying let's tear it down to build it up, that's one thing, but he is the most dependable individual on that roster right now. You, you, if you can is count on though? no one else. There's a guy named Dylan Cease on that team that's really dependable. Okay, well, I guess good, I'm talking multiple seasons here, but it, it's, it's okay. valid. Okay. It's valid, but I think for a couple of years now, we at least know what he is as a closer. You're right. Two thoughts. One, if you're going to go into this offseason and you're only – uh, mechanism to try to improve your team is, is using trades. You've got to give up something to get something, and he's the best you've got to give. I don't think you're going to you know, reach into your, your supply of, of young outfielders and, and deal Luis Robert or Eloy Jimenez. No way. No way. So Liam Hendricks with one year remaining on his deal I think makes sense. And also, Big Ant, I think the football comp would be closers are kind of like running backs these days. I know it's great to have a special one, but if you have one that can do the job serviceably well, adequately, and maybe above average, you're going to be willing to sacrifice a good one to get something in return. You're not going to turn Cease into a closer. You're not going to turn Kopech into a closer. Do, do they have one in-house or in the farm system? That, that I'm sure you could sense? look at guys like, you know, Reynaldo Lopez. Not yes, that's it, Gabe. Yeah. Yeah, you're on to it, Gabe. Reynaldo Lopez, to me, is the guy that get, would get the first shot if you don't get anybody else in the offseason. And then you've got Kendall Graveman, who is still there. You know, it's hard to find closers in your minor league system because you just don't know what these guys are going to be in high-leverage situations. But I would give the ball to Ronaldo Lopez for the first shot if – that's a big if – if you if you deal Liam Hendricks. Yeah, and, and then you got a guy like, you know, Garrett Crochet that could come back healthy and, you know, be a nice strong arm even though, you know, it's lefties. So, you know, again, guys you can give opportunities to. Mm -hmm. I like Liam Hendricks just as much as anybody else. I love what he brings to the team. I love what he's – you know, what kind of foundation he's, he's brought to the White Sox over the last couple of years, but, you know, you're right. It's like it's the, the, the Sox aren't going to go out and spend $100 million on some talent, so they have to be creative yeah. in those ways to bring other people in. I feel about it kind of like I feel like the Bears dealing Roquan, where I feel like you, you, have, you have a high-level player who, yes, maybe you get, a, you get a significant return, but you're creating a hole right. at a position that you know can continue to be productive if you keep that individual. That would be my concern 
with dealing Hendricks is that you, you want to get better. You're trying to build the roster right now, and you're creating a hole. And that, that's, I don't know, that, that would concern me. I, yeah. I, think, I think it would depend on the return. I think those are really good questions, and it, it is contrary to the idea of going for it now. And I think the Sox yeah. are a couple moves away from winning in 2023 or being in a position to win that division, and that's all you need. So it would have to be a real smart trade. It would certainly get scrutinized because – Heck, Rick Hahn gets scrutinized on, on the path he takes to guaranteed rate field from his home. You know, if Waze tells him one way, he's going to say Google Maps tells me another. And some, yeah. Rick Hahn? Yeah. yeah. That, that was actually that. that was the, I, was, I was motioning to Gabe a moment ago because I, I did want to follow up on something with you because it does feel to me like we – I think we always sort of couch Rick Hahn criticism with the fact that that they cut his legs out from under him, that he's not okay, empowered. Okay. But Jerry Reinsdorf has owned the White Sox for as long as most of us have been alive. So no one has ever been empowered who works under Reinsdorf. Point. So why do we continue to talk about Rick Hahn in this way that nothing is his fault? That's what it feels like to me. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. I do believe the, the criticism. Kenny wasn't should, empowered. Should, nobody nobody yeah. minds criticizing Kenny. Well, yeah, Was Kenny Rick, more empowered than Rick? Well, well, I think Kenny was more successful in the job than Rick. He won a World Series to prove it. And I think that Rick invites some of that, some of the scrutiny by talking in terms of winning multiple championships and talking in terms of things that aren't real realistic. And I think that we wondered about, you know, why this team embraced the status quo to the degree that it did. I think your point is a good one. I think all criticism should be aimed a little bit higher and consistently at Jerry Reinsdorf because everything runs through his brain yes. before it becomes anything at all in terms of an action. But Rick has the job, and as long as he's a general manager, he is responsible for hiring the manager, for putting the roster together. And I think because he has those two powers still at his disposal, he's going to be held accountable for what kind of team the White Sox have. And I, I'm not at all trying to discount your point here because there are obviously big sort of deflector shields between the Larusa hire and just the, the the sort of accepting mediocrity through Reinsdorf for a while. Like, ah, you know, we'll just we'll get rid of some veteran players and we'll rebuild. We've seen that a lot from the White Sox here lately. With the window, I, we'll we'll keep, we'll keep calling it a window for now. I, mm -hmm. I do wonder, David, before we let you run here, because of where the franchise is at at the moment and they're seeing the north side after one season of a teardown immediately get back to spending what what level of of legitimate pressure is there obviously there's you know gabe and disgruntled white Sox fans who are going they don't to, care about us and they're going to be mopey about <laughs> it but i mean you know is there any inkling you're getting from the south side right now that that feels like you know what after the last couple of years and how badly we botched the managerial hire that there's any desperation, right? That, that's the word I'm looking for. Is there any desperation on the nope. south side from the decision makers? Nope. No, I don't think so. I think what they feel like is almost the opposite, And I, I think that they feel uh, a sense of security. I think there's a sense of renewal uh, among some people on the south side because the, the malaise of the Tony La Russa era is evaporated in some ways. And I, I don't want to give Pedro Grafol any more credit than he deserves because I think he will benefit just from not being Tony La Russa. But he will bring, he will bring a new attitude into spring training. And, I, and you always see the bump, and you always see that kind of reaction from a team that was lackadaisical 
and was deficient in a lot of different areas that was related to attitude, approach, and hustle and the fundamentals. The, the White Sox were the dumbest team in baseball, and they were the most underachieving team in the league. And Pedro Gafol can go nowhere from, but up from here. So in that sense, I think the opposite. I don't think it's pressure. I think it's opportunity, and that's exciting for a lot of people on the south side. That's the way I look at it. Now, Sox fans, they have every right to feel uh, skeptical, fatigued, and fed up. I work alongside one every day, and I get that. You know, Mully is, is reflective of a lot of Sox fans, and I understand and respect that. But I think that this is a new opportunity to kind of change the air in the room, if, if you will. Now it's up to Rick Hahn to make some deals that make that possible. And then when they get to spring training, you know, let's see what you got, Pedro, because this is, this is a chance to say that you can have that kind of effect. The manager can't affect the, the effort level, and they don't have to respect 75 anymore. They can respect 90 again. Yeah, that'll be the case. Hey, Dave, loved hearing from you, man. It feels smarter, and I can't wait to hang out with you on Thursday. Look forward to it. Great show, guys. Take care. Thanks, David. David Hall, of course, morning show host here on 670 The Score, hanging out with us. You can also catch him on Inside the Clubhouse and Take the North podcast. I mean, I can go on for like another right. hour I, about do, the do White Sox. Do you want to stick with that right now? You want to go I back do. to the no, football? I, yeah. No, no, I, I, I'm emotionally invested in this right, right now. Right. I have a ton of things to say about the White Sox. <laughs> and like, you know, because you, you, I saw you motion a second ago, Ant, about like why do they feel this sense of renewed energy? And... I agree with you, and I'll tell you why that shouldn't be the case on the other side. All right, it's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron here at the Miller Lite Top Draft Show at the Piazza. We at the Piazza. We're going to grab some food and talk to you guys on the other side. It's Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more of the Miller Lite Top Draft Show at the Piazza, located at 85 Executive Drive in Aurora, with Gabe Ramirez and Anthony Heron, presented by Miller Lite. It's Miller Time on Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's home for Bears fans, and always live on the free Odyssey app. Winter meetings are here. Can the White Sox do anything to turn my frown upside down? We'll discuss that. White Sox do anything, period, man. <laughs> Some action. That would make my frown turn Something. upside down if that were the case. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron. Uh, shout out to everybody that's here at the Piazza and people that are listening at home, of course. Shout out to our guy, Andy. We know he's an avid listener. We got Beatrice's daughter that's at school. She's waiting for her mom somewhere. She's you got to pick her up, though. You, know? right. you don't want to just leave her here for Apparently, us. Apparently, Andy's in his man cave. He's yeah. kind of hiding out right now. He's talking, you know. to, talking to his son, Kyle, a moment ago. Wish I had a damn man cave. Do you got a man cave at Joe's? <laughs> I do not. Oh. No. A man room? That condo life. Yeah. I mean, I got office. Your office room. <laughs> yeah. Right. What do you Still got office there? right now. Just computers and file okay. cabinets and stuff. Nothing fun yet. Okay. You no, know, we make the you suburban the, move. You don't got the, 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 man cave the pig from the Iowa game that you were carrying the other day? Oh, Floyd. Yeah. No, no. They didn't let me keep him. Damn it. Too damn heavy, man. All right. Um, so but we, that thing. we were talking with David Hall about the winter meetings and baseball in general. And, you know, he, he mentioned, like, the, the, the Sox getting some sort of pass or renewed energy. Uh-huh. And you've seen it, man. You've seen it from guys even that work at the score, right? Like Chris Tanner. Uh, David didn't Muddy. necessarily call it a pass, but it feels like a pass. It's kind of what it feels like a little bit. You know what it is? As a Sox fan, I'll speak from my Sox okay. dumb, right? Uh-huh. You kind of just accept it. You know, like you mentioned, Cubs are out here in a rebuilding year, putting a ton of money on the board. I mean, even $17.5 million, that's a ton of money. But, you know, put spending money, saying that they're going to spend money, yeah. and the White Sox are on the other side of town, like, trying to make something out of nothing, mm. right? And so you're right. You mentioned the past. But, again, I just think, you know, if you're a Sox fan, you kind of just understand that. And you mentioned, or we talked so earlier you're a lot about. a in life as a Sox fan. Yeah, yeah, about, you know, Kenny Williams. You know, obviously people were coming down on him, but but he had the same restrictions because if you look at some of the guys that were on that World Series team, Jermaine Dye, if I remember correctly, I think it was like a three-year, $9 million deal. <laughs> That's off the top of my head. Somebody okay. fact-checked me on that. Yeah. But it was something small like that where you grab, you, you plucked a guy and expected a uh-huh. lot from Scott Pesednik, you know, Bobby Jenks, someone that you weren't El Duque. expecting. El Duque. Exactly. Uh-huh. Those guys. Right. I mean, so it, it's kind of the same formula as it is in 2022 where – you're trying to you're trying to strike gold, mm. even though you're not out there with like a huge pickaxe, right? You're just trying to do it, just like scraping away and, and still having the same hopes. But it sucks. It sucks as a White Sox fan to be in this position year in and year out. And so that's why it's not as shocking to me when you bring when when we bring up the Liam Hendricks thing, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, why? Tra-? Yeah, because that's what the White Sox do. They don't keep him because they're not going to build a team around him, right? Per se, but right. they can get rid of him bring some other pieces in and, and hope that that is then the recipe for success on the south side of Chicago. And it, it feels so normal, and, and the exact way that you describe it is, is why I think, you know, a lot of White Sox fans like, like yourself and others get, get really frustrated by it at the same time because you do wonder when, when is the time to truly, you know, quote-unquote, yes. go for it. Yes, You know, because it, it, strategically what they began doing a few seasons ago – 
made a lot of sense. You had some of the top prospects in your farm system. They're raking in the farm system. So pay them before they Sign get up early. here. You got yep. contract control. Just saw on the north side of town shortly before that what the Cubs ran into where they won at a high level when they brought their prospects up and then waited to pay them. And then this question mark always loomed and lingered with all of them. True. And frankly, their window didn't. I mean, you know, depending on how you look at it, to be fair, their window was multiple division championships and a World Series championship. So you did have some window there, but it wasn't high-level postseason success like the expectation was. And they would go out in the midst of a season and say, all right, we got to spend to get this, to cover up some hole that right. ends up, you know, sort of recurring here and there. Let's go get a closer. Let's go get another starter. Let's go international for a minute here or there. Let's find some situational hitter or another outfielder. The Cubs were in the midst of making moves. They were in a better position to do that because they hadn't paid any of the young cats who came up from their farm system. The White Sox have kind of taken the opposite approach here at the time. It felt like smart money. Part of the issue is the guys haven't developed at the major league level to any consistent. Now, they got to stay on the field. They got to stay on the diamond to really truly test that out. They've been so beleaguered by energy, by injury. So many games have been missed by all these guys. So the question mark can still linger on what you expect from them long term. But even if all of them play to the back of their baseball cart, all these guys who you paid before they got up to the major league level, if all of them perform at their peak, you still need another outfielder. You still need a, another bullpen arm. You, you still would potentially need a closer if you end up getting rid of Liam Hendricks. So, I mean, there's still more help that's necessary for the White Sox, even if all these prospects who you want to assume they're going to play the quote-unquote the back of the baseball card, which frankly, for some of them, like who's, who's back of the baseball card is even that impressive yet because they haven't necessarily been at the major league level long and healthy enough that to, to perform at a peak. There's a lot of talent there, but yeah. who's put an all-star level season together in anything that's been a full season? The COVID year, okay, when they've been healthy, maybe give me a little bit of that, but on the whole, man, you need help regardless yeah. of whether or not those guys stay healthy and rake. And so why aren't they willing to spend? I guess we know why because that's what history tells us. But that to me is the most disappointing part about it because you're wondering, they, they did things that said we're preparing to enter a window, but it doesn't feel like they're prepared to maximize yeah. this window. He's Anthony Heron. I'm Gabe Ramirez. This is 670 The Score. I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the issue is the White Sox and their fan base, they're all, it's all based off hope. Yeah. You know, you're hoping for a lot of things, like you mentioned it, hoping that guys play up to the back of their baseball car. You're, you're, you're hoping that Yasmani Grandal is, is, you know, has a 500 OPS or you know, on-base percentage. And, Most and, expensive free agent signing ever. And you're, for the White Sox, and you're hoping that he does that. You're hoping Tim Anderson is competing for a batting title every single year. Wayne you want power from, from Eloy Jimenez. You want, you, know, you want a ton of things like that. And, you know, and, but, again, it's all about hope. But when you're looking at other teams – in Major League Baseball, and you're, you're looking at the Phillies with Trey Turner. They're not hoping. Yeah. They're not hoping. Right. They're saying, these are our guys. Look, what we, look who uh -huh. we have here and go out and win a championship. Now, yeah. they're not hoping and saying, man, I really hope Trey Turner works out. No, you know he is. You're saying, oh, I hope, you know, Bryce Harper works out. No, he is going to do that, right? Kyle Schwarber, you know he's a masher. Like, guys like that, they build their team differently, and the White Sox, unfortunately, just aren't in that situation. And you mentioned a second ago about, you know, paying guys, and, I, and it sparked a question in my head because – it's a thought that I have about, you know, the Elo Jimenez's and the Luis Robert's. Do you think, just from, an, just from an athlete standpoint, not even this particular team or those two guys that I mentioned, but do you think, you know, getting paid, getting the money for the first time, because 
we look at it as, oh, it's $6 million a year or $7 million a year. They look at it as I would. It's a fortune, yeah. right? So, yeah. so what are your thoughts with, with, with giving guys that type of money early on now that we've seen it? Do you feel like it affects their play negatively because they got the bag already? So far, evidence is yes. You know, and, and who knows for sure if, if that's much of a factor, the main factor, a little bit of a factor. But, you know, when, when you're looking up and down the lineup, you, you're looking at a lot of guys. You know, Joan Mancada, he, he hasn't been consistent. Luis Robert hasn't been consistent. Eloy Jimenez hasn't been consistent. And, again, a lot of these guys besieged by injury as well. But the talent, it's obvious and apparent with all of them, while at the same time, they got to the major league level, showed some flashes, showed some sparks. But part of the reporting you're hearing out of it is, are they truly committed to the craft? Like getting their game right. better, improving, developing season over season. And you know, if you don't pay them, it doesn't guarantee you anything. Because frankly, on the north side, they won their World Series and we're thinking they're going to have to pay this guy, pay that guy. And development didn't necessarily show consistently for those guys either. They did as a group continue to win at a high level now. And there's no reason in the AL Central why the White Sox, with that collection of talent, shouldn't be able to win in that division with, with the construct of talent yeah. they have and with the way the rest of that division looks. And they haven't been able to. Certainly didn't last season and had no postseason success prior to that. See, and that's why I feel like the coach is so important, right? Because when you're looking yeah. at the 2005 White Sox, you're saying to yourself, well, you know, it was uh, past his prime El Duque, past his prime Contreras. But Ozzy was able to get the best out of guys uh, like that, right? Yeah. You're looking at Juan Uribe, Tadahito, like guys, election, like guys that were there that you weren't expecting to mm. perform at such a high level. And that's why a manager, especially for the Chicago White Sox, is extremely important. So to go back a couple of years ago when Tony LaRusso was there, you say, as a Sox man, me, I'm talking about me, myself. Mm. You're like, What? <laughs> What are you doing, right? And, and, and obviously that was a narrative that, that continued on for his entire yeah. tenure with the Chicago White Sox. But, again, if you are a White Sox fan, you understand that you have to get the best out of all of your players. And, you know, you question that with a guy like Tony Russo. Can he? Can he identify with the guys? And he, that was People were talking about that all the time. You have to have guys like Tim Anderson come out and say, no, 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 I rock with Tony LaRusso. He's a good – like, hey, everybody, calm down. I think he's cool. Yeah. You know, whereas you really wanted someone that was going to come like, – like Pedro Griffo already has – to me, that base, that, that, that I'm going to get the best out of these guys because I understand who these guys are. And when you're looking at, you know, you're talking about the talent on the roster when you mention guys like Moncada, when you're mentioning, you know, Eloy, a, a lot of these, like, they need to play better. So yeah. who's going to get that out of yeah. them? Clearly, over the last couple of years, they can't get it out of themselves. So you need a guy like Pedro Grafold to be able to do that. So we can only, again, hope as White Sox fans that he can do that. Strategically, from a defensive alignment perspective, the hustle, all these things that have been getting talked about for multiple seasons with this young core that hasn't shown themselves as hungry, hasn't shown themselves as improving, and that's a huge cause for concern with guys who are as young, as inexperienced as they are. Like Think about it from a Bears perspective. How you and I have talked about the Bears throughout the season for the improvement that should show itself from an early season to the latter stages of the season because they're young and hungry. The White Sox are still young. Are they hungry? Are the fact, is the fact that, that they've been paid right away at the top of their career somewhat, does that somewhat negate the, the hunger, the desire to really improve at the craft? 
up to this point, there's no reason to refute that as yeah. a concern. Now, maybe Pedro Gafol coming in, can he be something that's kind of an X factor? And you, you would hope your manager can at least be that. From an in-game in strategic perspective, you can only expect so much from a baseball manager to affect so many wins throughout a season. It's just the way the sport is set up. But to really hold guys accountable for the, it, it, if nothing else, spring training to make sure you're getting the skills down, make sure that throughout the season the strategy you're getting from your analytics department, from the front office, is going to place everyone in the proper positions. Uh, the, the, the way you're attacking different hitters and that you're focusing on what your guys are weak at and what the, the strengths are for them and what the weaknesses of the opponent are, that all those things come together. And then, you know, once you actually have the guy take the, take the mound, then from there you just got to count on guys who have prepared themselves in a way for all those things to sort of take over in game. But hopefully Pedro Gafo can at least have the details yeah. more short up than what we've seen the last couple of seasons. And that's what, to me, was honestly kind of surprising about the, the Tony La Russa couple of seasons here where part of, part of the concern that so many folks had, myself included, was you bring in this guy, he's supposed to be, you know, I guess somewhat hard-nosed. Can he relate to the players? You know, he's got this old-school baseball mentality. Now the White Sox have been building that really fun atmosphere and let the kids play and been sort of the, the poster team for that. <laughs> yes. Then you bring in old-school baseball guy. But if anything, he has shown in his Hall of Fame World Series pass that maybe he gets the details of the game shored up, and that was the worst part the about worst his part. time here. What surprises me is that it doesn't, at least – from the indication of how the offseason seems to be planning to go, that I don't get the sense Jerry Reinsdorf necessarily feels like it was a big mistake. No. I feel like everyone else saw it as a mistake beforehand, during, and afterwards, except for the White Sox owner. And if I was having a beer with Jerry, with, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf right now, and I was like, hey, bro, La Russa, huh, and he'd be like, but Gabe, the guys the didn't play. The guys didn't play up to you know uh, to the standards. That there was something. Yeah. Like, there would be something there. And there's all these games missed because of injury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those are legitimate things. True. Yes, there's a lot of injuries. You didn't necessarily have your. But it's core not like anyone the... in the AL Central ran away with right. the division. It's not like somebody right. was like 20, 40 games over 500. Everybody was right there. Sox ran it up until the last month of the season, or at least could have made some sort of inroads there. But but they didn't. And then it, it's, it's it's frustrating. Why why you got me worked up? About the White Sox and December 6th. I shouldn't be this worked up. they should be making deals, Gabe, and they're should. not. not yet. Well, they're, they're picking up Mike Clevenger, who couldn't even talk about the team in, 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 in like a positive light. When they asked him about coming to the White Sox, he talked about the mound. <laughs> the mound is great. Oh, this is the best mound. mound I've ever been on. I'm, this is great. All right, Mike Clevenger, you got your money. You fooled us. Did he call it Comiskey? <laughs> if he called it Comiskey, then he really ingratiated himself a White Sox uh, fan. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron here at the Piazza for the Miller Lite top draft show we're here till nine o'clock if you guys are in the western suburbs come hang out we still got a lot more show to go andy montanez hanging out with us at eight o'clock and when we come back we'll discuss some more some no 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 not doing no more baseball right i'm taking a break <laughs> going back to the bears and i'm going to ask you again about david montgomery All and his right. future here with the chicago bears we'll do that on the other side it's gabe ramirez anthony Heron here on chicago sports radio 670 the score how come you bring more cheese pizzas He's had a, a season high in yards yesterday, total yards. But what are you most encouraged about in the way the offense clicked yesterday? I can't really answer that question because I, I really, we've really just had to be better, honestly, um, as a whole. Offense, we got to finish some of those plays. We made too many um, mental errors, a lot of detail errors. So um, it's cool to have a season high, but we still not where we need to be. We need to be better. 
to get it. Looked like you guys had a pretty good game though. What are those errors that you're seeing that maybe others aren't? We did not win. So to me, we didn't have a good game. Oh, I told you, David Montgomery was on one during his press conference. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron, here at the Miller Lite Top Draft Show at the Piazza in Aurora, man. Um, Aurora, isn't it like the second largest city in Illinois? Yeah, um, it's second largest city. Okay. Huge. And when you're so driving. Aurora's bigger than Naperville, then? Is that accurate? Okay. These are like, they're like game bangers here, man. You don't, you, when you put Naperville <laughs> and Aurora together, it's just like, nah, I don't right. like them. I don't like Jets them. Jets and the Sharks so. just walking down the middle of the yeah, street, snapping their fingers. Don't even want to bring that end. The end. Uh, uh, <laughs> don't do it. Um, but yeah, David Montgomery, you know, talking right here about the offense. Uh, obviously, the Bears having the highest output um, and not necessarily coming uh, on the heels of Justin Fields' legs. Right? I mean, right. putting the ball in the air. Justin Fields having the uh, biggest output, uh, uh, most amount of passing yards at 254 this but season. Two interceptions game. Where do you want to live? Do you want to live in the fourth quarter where, where <laughs> Green Bay Packers had their three drives and they scored on each one and the Bears had a missed field going two? You want to you live there in that space? I don't want to because then I'm going to get upset. Right. I'm going to get a bad game for the rest of the show. Uh-huh. But I do want to talk about, you know, just, just the offense as a whole. Because, you know, I asked this question to my friends, and I said, you know, Justin Fields played well. We can agree on that. Right. The defense played well. We can agree on that. Much better than expected, yeah. So then who's at fault for the loss? I mean, all of them. Because the defense, in the end, couldn't close the door on Green Bay when they had an opportunity to do it. The offense, of course, with the opportunity after they've been playing really well throughout a lot of the game, you end up coming short on multiple drives in the second half. You drive down. You got – First and goal from the nine. The next thing you know, there's a flag. All right? You lose 10 yards on that. Then they get a tackle for loss. You lose some more yards on that. So you go from first and goal at the nine to third and goal from the 24 a couple of plays later. Yeah. That, was an, that was a drive where it looked like you're going to punch in another touchdown after driving down the field. Then from there, you miss a field goal. You miss an extra point. You get a field goal block. Like There's points being left on the board by the Bears throughout the second half of that game and drives that it looked like there, there were certainly opportunities to put points on the board where their lack of execution was a huge part of why. You know, does the field goal get blocked from the low trajectory because he's trying to power it through the wind or is Cairo Santos just off right now? You know, you got yeah. a case of the yips that might be starting up with a kicker who had been as dependable as any kicker in the National Football League between last year and the midpoint of this season. Now we're starting to see Cairo Santos look a little bit human right now. But because... You, know, you have such a small margin for error, then your kicker missing a couple extra points lately, having a field goal get blocked here. It's highlighted. Yeah, and everything feels like a much bigger deal when you're not able to be as consistent on both sides of the ball. So for the offensive output, you certainly got to put a, you know, a decent amount of blame on that, while at the same time, defensively, as much as you got from the secondary, from this kind of no-name secondary that's out there where four of your five top defensive backs aren't available for the game, and still, you're able to frustrate Aaron Rodgers throughout a lot of that game, and you're doing it with no pass rush, absolutely zero, zero heat on one of these all-time great quarterbacks. And, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about Justin Jones before. He's the most productive defensive lineman, but because of the premier position he plays, I do think it, it affects my perception of whether or not he would be back next season. And... You know, I, I think he, he would be worthy of being a rotational piece for the Bears, but right now he's your starting three technique, and you're not getting a lot out of that, and that's the main position that you want to get the most out of in this scheme in your defensive front, and it's not happening. 
between Travis Gibson and, and Dominique Robinson, Gibson is the guy who has at least been in the league a little bit longer. He has made some plays. Has a track record, yeah. Drastically inconsistent. And Dominique Robinson at some point, like I would like Dominique Robinson to spend the bye week just like shadow boxing with his hands tied behind his back because he has got to get to the point where he's avoiding people. One of the mistakes that young pass rushers end up making, anybody played like high school football, been a lineman at any point, any former like high school defensive lineman out there? Offensive tackle out there. Yeah, maybe, maybe somewhere. But what you need to end up doing, one of the mistakes that young defensive linemen end up making when you're as inexperienced as Dominique Robinson is, is that you end up rushing to contact. So you're in these pass rush situations and you want to immediately run into the big guy across from you because that's just where your brain takes you. It's almost this magnetic impulse to just run into the other guy, but you can't do that. It's one thing if you're actually setting up a power rush and you come out of your stance and you try to run over the guy or run through the guy. But what you really want to do, especially when you're a guy like Dominique Robinson, who you know is big for a former quarterback, is big for a former receiver, but he's not like some 290-pound power yeah. rusher like Miles Garrett. You want him to get to the point where he's making avoid moves. You want him working the outside half of the blocker, the outside third of the blocker, getting to the point where he comes out of his stance and every once in a while, Von Miller style, where he just dips his shoulder yes. and tries to turn the corner running around the guy. Move. But when you see Dominique Robinson coming out of his stance, he's just running down the middle of the guy over like and over this? again. Like, like, it's just There's a lot of that. I, and, and the whole shadow boxing with no hands thing, man, just have him come out of his stance with his hands tied behind his back and just dip his shoulders and, and just do a, little, do a little Ali every once in a while. Just get to where he's like dipping that shoulder, trying to get around the guy, avoiding people, touching him. You look a little bit like Fred Sanford when you're doing it as I'm kind of displaying <laughs> this right here. But he needs to get to the point where he is avoiding contact and he too frequently and again it's youth does he grow out of it does he develop out of it you would hope so but if he was sitting here next to me and I was breaking down the film with him I would point out snap after snap of him coming out of his stance standing up and just putting his hands on the offensive tackle the point is to get around the the guy yeah not to run into him and he's not even running into him with force with power so development wise you hope you can develop a young player out of that habit but at a certain point, if he doesn't get out of that habit, then you got to move on. Then you got to get somebody else in. But he's got a month left after the bye week. He's going to have four games remaining to start to show more of that potential that on like one snap in the opening game of the season, he made an outstanding inside counter move and got a sack. It's like, wow, if he can do that in the first All game, year long. what's he going to be doing in the 12th game? And now we're through the 12th and 13th and 14th games. Oh, well. Yeah. All right, we haven't seen that in a while. It, it, it sucks, man. I mean, it, obviously watching the D-line just not get any pressure. I mean, especially against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who you know is going to pick you apart if you give him that much time. Yeah. He's a cerebral quarterback. He's going to make some great plays. But you even saw, I, I heard in, in um, Coach Iberflus' Monday press conference yesterday, talking about how they allowed Justin Jones to play on the end. And somebody asked him a question about this. Hey, I saw that you let, you let Justin Jones play on the end. You know, what, what was the reasoning there and why did you guys feel that way? And then he said, he, uh, said he felt like he had some depth in the interior, which I was like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, and then, but he That's wa- where his better players are. Like Angelo Blackson right. is one of his better players. Um, Mike, Mike Pinnell is one Pinnell. of his better players. None of these guys are like high level guys, but right. when you're looking at which part of the D line do you get more production from, the interior of the D line is harder to handle than the edge of the D line right now. Well, it was interesting also what he said about why he put Justin, Justin Jones on the outside. He said, if you've looked at any of my defenses, I always have a, a bigger guy on the left side mm-hmm. at the end. He's like, 285, 290. I got big boys out there to help stop the run. And so you can see, but it worked. 
it, it worked to a certain degree. I mean, yeah. I, I know right. the Packers ran for 175 yards on the Bears. If you were to minus the, the Christian Watson run exactly. at the very end, I mean, exactly. it's a lot different. You held Aaron Jones in check. Yep. He didn't necessarily have a standout game. A.J. Dillon just looked like a bowling ball out there running people <laughs> over. So that's a little harder to stop. But, again, man, it, you, 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 it's good to know where the Bears need the help at. And I think that's what's important about this season. They know what they do have and where they have um, guys that they can keep for, for, years, for the next year at least or years to come. But they also know, and it's been highlighted, where they need to help. Because it's not only the fan base that understands that, but it's also the coaching staff. And, and obviously, like they mentioned, they're going to – uh, look at this Bears team from the Patriots game and really just reevaluate and reassess. So it's going to be interesting. There was a big drastic change for the Bears after that mini bye week, as they've called it, uh, leading up to that Patriots game. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in this complete bye week. <laughs> uh, you smell that? I smell that. It's pizza <laughs> over here, guys. Yeah, let's hope so. All right. So uh, on, the, on the other side, we get an opportunity to go back to some baseball. The winter meetings obviously happening right now in San Diego. Cubs making a big splash signing Cody Bellinger. Um, Sox obviously grabbing Mike Clevenger. But we have someone that's actually there in San Diego, Andy Montanez from Marquee Sports Network. He's going to be joining us on the other side. We get to hear what his thoughts are on the Bellinger signing and then what um, signings are looming for the Chicago Cubs. We'll find out next. It's Gabe Ramirez, Anthony Heron here at the Piazza for the Miller Lite Top Draft Show on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.